And now, from the rooftop of the Rockies, it's Backbone Radio with Matt Dunn. Jeff Hunt filling in for the great Dr. Matt Dunn, Backbone Radio. I run a think tank called the Centennial Institute, but I'm here in my own personal capacity. The homelessness have changed significantly from when we grew up. Majority of homeless were embarrassed and really wanted to get a job and have their own place. Alexa, I think you're exactly right. Now, the majority of homeless are okay with being homeless. And don't want to conform to, to traditional lifestyles. Some also have addiction or mental health issues. I think a big portion of it is that. If most don't want to change, Johnston's plans will not help. You're exactly right. And I, and I, will, I will absolutely put it out there that a year from now, we're not going to have any difference in this. Because the elected officials of Denver, Colorado, here in the state as well, will not do what's necessary. So they they have this mentality. It's called housing first. If we just get them homes, they'll be okay. All right, this isn't new. We did this back in the 80s. It was called projects. Does anyone look around at the major projects built in these cities like Chicago, New York, and say those were astoundingly successful? No, they became centers of drugs, violence, Harm, addiction, all that right there. So, you know, the idea that we're going to, okay, well, we won't build big apartment complexes, but we're going to use tiny homes. Have you heard that? Mike Johnson wants to put a thousand, a thousand tiny homes. Where? Not by the Denver Country Club. Not in Cherry Creek Mall. No, 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 no. They're not going to have tiny homes there. These will be. In other locations where people without so much power can't speak out against it. That's where those tiny homes are going to be. And if you're not addressing the root cause, because if the root cause is drug addiction, which in many, many cases it is, you're never actually going to solve this problem. You are never going to solve this problem. Because the thing that these people can't understand is that unless you tell drug-addicted homeless people, you cannot live here. You cannot exist like this. We are not just going to allow you to get stoned in tents off of Colfax and 16th Street Mall. That's not acceptable behavior. Until we get to that, these people are going to continue to live like that. And do you see that out of our elected officials? I'd love it if Mike Johnston would grab his microphone, step before the podium, and say, we will not allow you to do that. Not because we're mean people. Not because we're heartless. Not because we don't have compassion for the poor. I actually care more about you than these people creating these government-run programs that are going to put you into, essentially, dependency for the rest of your lives. I believe you're created by God with unique gifts and talents to make a difference in this world. And you are expected to go out there and serve your communities, work hard, raise a family, and being addicted to drugs, living in a tent is not acceptable. Not only for you, but for the people all around us. 
When is that leader going to show up in the city of Denver and say no more? No more because I actually really do care about you. And this just embrace of drug addiction and slothfulness and brokenness. We'll say, well, no, Jeff, we're not, a, we're not, we want to care for people. We're not telling them that it's okay to do it. Yes, you are. And these drug injection sites, by the way, God bless 710K in US, they were the only entity that pushed back in a way that allowed us to stop these supervised injection sites. You remember when Peter Boyles and Stephen Tubbs and the other guys went up to Vancouver, Canada and filmed up there? That, that right there was one of the biggest wins we've had in a long time. And God bless this radio station for doing that. But it's, it's, there's kind of, at a certain point, there needs to be an adult in the room, right? And I'm not... I'm not naive to this. I understand that addiction is incredibly serious. When I was younger, I used drugs. I get it. But you think if my parents found out the right thing for them to do was to go, well, well, you know, Jeff, uh, I think it's probably just best for us to just create a little space over here in the corner for you to use your drugs and you can sit there stoned for the rest of your life. That wouldn't have flied with my parents because they were loving people. I think Douglas County is onto something. I, I really like the signs up there that say, don't give handouts. Handouts don't help. They don't help. They absolutely, and friends, I'll be honest, as a, as a Christian, as someone who went through seminary, has an MDiv, we are called to have compassion for the poor, to care for them. So this is kind of where we struggle. You see somebody out there and you go, yeah, you know, maybe I should, maybe I should help them. This is not the Samaritan it's been beat up and left on the side of the road. All right. These are souls that are strung out on addictive drugs and just leaving them there, giving them food, giving them handouts of cash so they can perpetuate this addiction is not helping. And friends, we are going to sit back in the future generations going to look back at this and go, this was mind boggling, stupid. The way we just said, well, we were afraid of the war on drugs. We put people up. We locked them in jail. It was totally unfair. So the proper response in our generation was just to allow people to use whatever drugs they want to use. It's insane. And it's harming people. Let's see if we have time here. When we come back, uh, CBS4, Sean Boyd has been doing a good job covering really what's at the heart of this homelessness epidemic. She did a good story. And it is drug addiction and giving people cash and creating these systems of dependency just perpetuates that. And we need to step up to it. I guarantee you, Mike Johnston will not solve this problem. If he does, years from now, I'll eat my crow. You know that old saying, it's best to eat crow while it's still warm. I will eat crow if they can actually reduce the homelessness population. But it's not going to happen in Colorado. And another factor that we have to take into consideration is how our policies in the state are actually inviting people here. I think this was the biggest untold story of the 2022 elections. And, I've, and I have a master's degree in campaign management. I follow elections. I've worked on presidential elections. I've served 
state House, state Senate, U.S. Senate, congressional. I know elections. And this election cycle was totally different than anything I'd ever seen before because what it affirmed was that people are moving to states that fit their political beliefs. I saw this in an article the other day about how a family from Texas that wants to trans their kids is moving to Colorado. That was my thesis a year ago, and I'm starting to see news articles populate according to this. And we've seen it. How many people here in Colorado do you know that are moving to places like Oklahoma, Texas, or Florida? They're absolutely moving. I get it. And you guys, the ones that are going to be left, are going to be in a totally different conservative position than we were previously. Totally different. We are going through a a kind of a cleansing right now because you had a lot of people that wanted to be governor, right? They wanted to have careers in conservative politics, the kind of Walker Stapletons of the world. I don't blame them. They worked really hard. He was the state treasurer. He wanted to be the governor. That idea that you are going to be an elected official in a serious position in Colorado as a Republican is gone. And it's not going to it's going to take a generation to fix this. Okay, What's going to be left are going to be the fighters. Those of us that can live with total liberal dominance in this state. And that's why I love 710 KNUS. I believe they're going to be the tip of the spear fighting back against all this. When we come back, we'll continue this conversation. Jeff Hunt filling in for Matt Dunn, 710 KNUS. Blackman walk-up music. Oh, Blake, I thought I was going to hear you sing. Come on. <laughs> there you go. This is why we are definitely not a music radio station. Casey's um, laughing at me. <laughs> Jeff Hunt filling in for the great Dr. Matt Dunn, 710 KNUS, Backbone Radio. All right, we're talking about Mike Johnston's plan to remove homelessness. Number one priority state of emergency. And you all chuckled because you know it's not going to happen. Sean Boyd, I thought, did a great job with this. Members population is changing and not necessarily in the way that you want to see it. It's shrinking. But one demographic is growing and we're talking about the homeless. There were nearly 5,000 people unsheltered in Denver last year, the most ever, even as the city spent more money than ever to tackle homelessness, $250 million. Some of the state's top leaders are hoping to change that trajectory. As Sean Boyd reports, they heard from an expert this week about a different homeless strategy that comes from lived experience. 
They are hard to look at. The people who live on the street, hard to, not to think about how they ended up here. While most major cities, including Denver, have addressed homelessness as a housing crisis. I'm humbled by all this. Tom Wolf will tell you it is primarily a drug crisis. He ought to know. He lived on the streets of San Francisco for six months after becoming addicted to painkillers following a surgery. It eventually spiraled into heroin, homelessness, fentanyl, and, uh, and near death. I had lost my wife, my kids, my job, my money, everything that was of value to me, I had lost. He would be dead, he says, if he hadn't been arrested. I'm blessed. Blessed. He was in jail long enough to get sober and get help from the Salvation Army, where he now works as a recovery advocate. I've tried to turn my negative experience into something positive to give back to the community. It's part of my living amends to my family and to my community in recovery, and it gives me great strength um, to be able to go out there and share my story. Not only to drug addicts, but policymakers right. and business right. leaders in hopes of saving cities like Denver from becoming the next San Francisco. Where homeless encampments have taken over entire city blocks and drug use is rampant. Wolf says it's the result of good intention policies that have failed the people they're meant to save. Nope. Policies that regard the decriminalization of drugs as humane and preconditions to housing as heartless. Two-thirds of those of those overdose deaths this year in San Francisco have happened inside at a fixed address and many of them inside permanent supportive housing. Compassion comes in many forms. Uh, accountability is one of those forms of compassion. I'm not saying that we have to put everyone in jail, but accountability has to be a piece of this. Yep. While Denver it's isn't San piece. Francisco, Wolf says it's headed in that direction. You can build all the tiny homes that you want, but if you continue with this policy of allowing people to use drugs openly, having tenting cameras just on sidewalks, you're just inviting more people to come. Well, we're at this crisis level with homelessness and drugs where we can no longer debate about which way is the best way. The answer should just be yes to just about everything, which includes arresting people, which includes holding fentanyl dealers accountable, which includes mandated treatment for those who need it, which includes funding just drug treatment and detox. And yes, that includes permanent housing too. Five years sober this month and back with his wife and kids, Tom Wolf is here to sound an alarm. And there's so many people out here on the street right now whose lives aren't over and they deserve another chance. But we as a community have to help show them the way. In Denver, Sean Boyd covering Colorado first. All right, so here's the deal. Um, we don't really care. We don't really care. We do not care about this problem enough to want to solve it. It is very easy. It is very easy for a Democratic politician in the city of Denver. They have no, no, no challenge. Remember, even there was a good Republican that challenged in this mayoral challenge in the latest mayoral election, but he didn't get very far. Right. So the, the challenge for an elected official in Denver comes from the left. Right. And the left does not really care about the poor. They don't. They, it's so much easier to create a program where you don't have to do anything. Someone's just going to a taxpayer, right? A taxpayer that has no face. No name, money just shows up in a bank account in the city of Denver, and we could just give them a tiny home. Do I care what happens in that tiny little home? Does the mayor 
care what happens in that tiny little home. I care what happens. I don't, I don't think the mayor cares at all. I don't think our culture cares at all. I am convinced that the libertarian approach to homelessness won't solve it because we're just allowing people to use drugs, whatever they want. One libertarian said, yeah, absolutely, we should have heroin injection sites in, uh, in um, vending machines. Why not? Adults are free to choose what they want to do. Right? That's kind of what we have in the city of Denver right now. I don't think the libertarian approach, I don't think the leftist approach has, where they utilize need and concern and people being addicted to drugs in order to win elections. That is the only thing they care about. Okay, It is the conservative approach to this issue that looks at that homeless person through the eyes of a living God and says, you have dignity, respect, worth, but more importantly, you cannot do this to yourself. I remember uh, taking philosophy classes when I was young. I have a degree in philosophy. And the question posed to us was, does the parent really love a child that just allows them to eat candy and stay up all night and just do whatever they want? Does that parent really love that child? No. A parent that really loves the child is going to guide that child towards human flourishing. That being the goal. When we look at today's homeless that are living in camps, both the leftist approach and the libertarian approach do not lead to human flourishing. They lead to human suffering. It is the conservative approach that says you, are, you have dignity, you have worth, and you have responsibility. And I am not going to allow that. I'm not going to, one, allow you to abuse your own life the way that you're doing it. But secondly, I'm not going to create systems of government that perpetuate this. We got beat up a lot during the last election for not supporting free meals for everybody in school. (laughs) Now, the left sold it. They sold it. They said, you know, the Centennial Institute is not supporting meals for poor kids in school. Okay. My wife grew up very poor. Her mother refused to buy into that system. Because she was going to provide for her kids. She was a waitress at Red Lobster. Waitress at Red Lobster taking care of three kids without a dad in the home. That was what my wife grew up with. And my wife remembers counting pennies and putting them in rolls and all that stuff growing up. So my wife qualified for free and reduced meals. This plan that they have now implemented in the state of Colorado provides free meals for kids that attend Kent Denver and Cherry Creek High School. And, you know, nice, wealthy kind of communities all over the state. Now they're getting free meals. The vision for the left is not human flourishing. If it was, and if it was successful, you'd see examples of humans flourishing under leftist control. You don't. You see depravity. You see brokenness. You see poverty. You see drug addiction. It is incredible human suffering. And Mike Johnston will continue this legacy in the city of Denver. It's heartbreaking. And until we finally want to do something with it, it's going to continue. This is Jeff Hunt filling in for Dr. Matt Dunn. Backbone Radio will be right back after these messages. More. The 
than just headlines. This is Backbone Radio with Matt Dunn, News Talk 710 KNUS. Middle gym, she was planning a welcome home barbecue, green bean casserole, grandma's recipe. There was a knock on the door around two o'clock, two uniforms and her heart stock, yellow ribbon round an oak tree, blowing in the breeze. Here's to the ones who didn't make it back home. So long to hold up a beer was a wish they were here was not to gotten gone in a better place up there. But they sure left a hole down here. We just go on living and go on missing the ones. The ones that didn't make it back home. Jeff Hunt here filling in for Dr. Matt Dunn. Backbone Radio, 17K in U.S. You know, this was founded by John Andrews, who is my predecessor at the Centennial Institute. He helped found Backbone Radio, and Matt Dunn's doing a great job. It's an honor to be able to fill in for him. All right, I've almost completed my fundraiser for Jenna Griswold. It's Jenna's Cry for Help. Jenna Griswold Financial Peace University. I'm going to share this fundraiser on my Twitter account. If you go to twitter.com backslash Jeff Hunt, what is Jenna's cry for help? Well, she's got a lot of debt. She has over $200,000 of student loan debt. She posts about it constantly on her Twitter account. Now she wants you to pay for her debt. She wants the taxpayers of Colorado to pay for her debt. But Jenna, I don't think we're doing you any favors here. I really don't. Because that's just giving a man a fish. When we could teach you to fish for the rest of your life. And I think the best financial guidance, you know, that we teach young people that that can really help you get things in order is Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University. So Jenna Griswold, I'm going to try to raise $80. Let's see if we can piece together some $1, $5 donations. And we're going to raise $80 for you to attend Financial Peace University, (laughs) the lady that leads the gold standard here in Colorado for all of our elections, can't figure out her own personal finances. And if we could get you through Financial Peace University with Dave Ramsey, Jenna, it's going to mean it's going to mean you got to stop going out for dinner. That's like the first thing Dave stops. And you're not going to be able to go to Disneyland, and you're going to have to control it, but we're going to get you out of your student loan debt and free you so you're not begging taxpayers to help cover your financial debt. I think that would be helpful. All right, article in the Denver Post here. Another Western state says it won't send wolves to Colorado Citing, quote, enormous price of managing the species. So this was one of the dumbest things that Coloradans ever did. All right. And if you voted for this, you can call in and tell me I'm wrong. 303-696-1971. It's called ballot box biology. There's a bunch of idiots out of Boulder and Denver that said, you know, it'd be really great for Colorado. Wolves. 
By the way, wolves have already been in Colorado. I hosted a guy from Montana. He's the chief wolf hunter for the state of Montana. He was at the Western Conservative Summit. He said wolves have been here since the early 2000s. They've came down from Wyoming. They just kind of run back and forth between Wyoming and Colorado. But the idiots that said from you know, Denver, Boulder, it'd be really great to have wolves. By the way, we're not going to put them in our backyards. I don't know if you saw this, but early on, a Republican lawmaker said, okay, for every one wolf, one wolf we're going to put up near Craig, Colorado, uh, we're going to have to put one wolf in the counties that voted for these wolves to be in the state of Colorado. And of course, you know, the Democrats shut that down. All right, another Western state decided it will not provide wolves for Colorado's reintroduction efforts, citing federal regulation and disagreements about how wolves should be managed. Idaho Department of Fish and Game Director Jim Fredericks declined Colorado Parks and Wildlife's request for wolves in a June 6th letter. Fredericks cited frustrations with federal restrictions on managing Idaho's wolves. Quote, unacceptable impacts of wolves on elk and deer populations and mistrust between conservation groups, ranchers and others because of disagreements on how to handle the species. Quote, unfortunately, Idaho's experience leads us to conclude the negative impacts of wolves sent to Colorado will not stay in Colorado. Colorado voters in 2020 decided to reintroduce gray wolves and mandate that state wildlife officials do so by December 31st of 2023. But Colorado Parks and Wildlife officials have not yet secured an agreement with another state willing to donate the first animals. Colorado has sent requests for wolves to Montana, Idaho, Washington, and Oregon. Colorado Parks and Wildlife spokesperson Joey Livingston said in an email, it did not request wolves from Wyoming, where the governor opposes Colorado's reintroduction efforts. So all these states that actually have to deal with them are like, you guys are idiots. For trying to bring in wolves. Because here's what they do. All right. Predator animals. Pack animals. They eat things like deer, elk, and sheep. Cattle. Things that ranchers raise. And here's the broad impact. I did a whole documentary on this on the Centennial Institute YouTube page. YouTube.com backslash Centennial Institute. All right. So if you're a shepherd... And we actually used to have a shepherd that was an elected official, Jay Paul Brown. Great guy. Um, He's now just a full-time shepherd. If you're a shepherd and you're raising your sheep, you take them around the state of Colorado to graze. You get these federal and state-based grazing licenses. So you take your sheep around. Now, the good green grass, the good stuff, is sometimes right up against the forest. But when there's wolves... The sheep learn to stay away from the good stuff. So not only does it affect like the one cow, you guys know, you've probably heard this, like the cow that gets killed by the wolf and then the rancher has to apply for the state to uh, reimburse him for it. What you guys don't understand and what voters in living in an apartment in Boulder will never understand is that the entire herd ends up smaller. And when you can't get your sheep or your cattle big enough when you try to sell them they go for less money so it affects the entire herd and it's going to decimate the elk hunting effort in the state of colorado which is incredibly lucrative it's done so in montana we've talked to experts up there so these wolves are devastating these other states and the states are like yeah of course we're not going to bring them here 
Colorado Parks and Wildlife does not anticipate needing to request wolves from states outside of the northern Rockies, Livingston said in an email. CPW will work to exhaust all options for potential resources. We anticipate that we will find a solution in time to release wolves prior to the December 31st, 2023 deadline. CPW does not anticipate the need to postpone reintroduction efforts. The Wildlife Subcommittee of Washington's Fish and Wildlife Commission discussed Colorado's request for wolves during a June 22nd meeting but did not make a decision or recommendation. It is our understanding that the Washington Department of Fish and Wildlife and the Washington Fish and Wildlife Commissions are continuing to consider whether they may be able to provide wolves to Colorado at some point. Colorado wildlife officials plan on releasing 10 to 15 wolves on the western slope every year for the next three to five years. What is 15 times five? 30, 60, 75 wolves in the next five years. The state of Idaho has paid a, quote, enormous price to have wolves in the state. Frederick wrote in his letter to Colorado officials, the state has paid to monitor its wolves and to compensate owners of animals killed by wolves, as well as the legal costs associated with litigation around the species. He wrote decisions on how to manage wolves have also led to conflict between rural communities, hunters, trappers, outdoor recreation users, agricultural interests, wolf advocates, conservation organizations, and governmental entities. The result is a strain on many of the very relationships that are critical to future conservation efforts. Wildlife, federal wildlife officials are considering the protection status of gray wolves in the western U.S. While the species is listed as endangered in most of the country, it is under state management in the northern Rockies, Montana, Idaho, Washington, Wyoming, and Oregon, and Utah. This means that the states can decide whether to allow hunting and trapping of wolves. Now, that would be cool. Here is what I proposed we should have run in 2020 when they legalized this on the campaign trail. We should have had a nice family in a tent with the lights on, you know, reading, basically going to bed after a wonderful day of camping and enjoying life together. And then as they shut the lights off, you just hear that wolf's howling in the background. As these young families try to put their kids to bed. I think that would have been more effective because all these hippie little campers just invited 75 wolves into their camping facilities and areas. We go camping up near Steamboat State Lake, State Lake, Steamboat Lake State Park up near Steamboat, Colorado. It's right against the border of Wyoming. They have wolves up there. We have wolves all throughout the western parts of this state. Enjoy your family camping trip now 75 wolves god bless idaho for at least taking a stand against this this is jeff hunt filling in for matt dunn backbone radio 710 KNUS. we'll be right back after these messages now more backbone radio with matt dunn news talk 710 knus denver's local talk leader little dwight yokum to take us out here jeff hunt filling in for matt dunn 
Um, <laughs> we can solve Denver's homeless problem with the wolves. <laughs> Did you hear that, Blake? <laughs> That's one way to do it. That's one way to do it. That's a funny text message there. Uh, <laughs> oh, I, you know, you put two and two together there. George and Westminster, Brother Jeff, I think we have a lot of very bad people in places where they can't make decisions or where they can make decisions to ruin our lives. And without even looking at their names or the letter behind them, I'm pretty sure that every one of them and almost one of them has a D. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, as, a, yeah, as, as the party affiliation. Um, I'm going to give you guys a little insight. Someone who works in government has been working in government um, for the last eight years running the Centennial Institute at Colorado Christian University. I'm going to give you a little insight into how things work at the state capitol as we close here. Um, this is really important for you to understand. And I tweeted about it today. Um, we're at a point in our country where those, like the one thing that's most important to get elected is not your care for your constituents. It's not your commitment to principles. It is not your expertise on issues. It's none of that. Okay. When I look back, I was in Quincy, Illinois a few weeks ago and Abraham Lincoln did one of the Lincoln-Douglas debates in Quincy, which is a big debate on slavery as Lincoln was running for the U.S. Senate. Three-hour debate, debate on big issues. We used to elect people that, you know, in some cases really cared about their constituents. I would, I would put Mike Kaufman in that category. I, I don't think Mike's a deeply committed conservative. I don't think he's a kind of a principled conservative, but I think he works harder than anybody else I know to care for his constituents. Um, so in some capacities, we used to elect those types of people, just really about public service. We'll sit there and do constituent work all day. Then we had people that were really smart on issues, could navigate issues well, knew them better than everybody else, studied them constantly. And then we also had people that were deeply committed to principles. I think Abraham Lincoln was one of those. He knew slavery and the issue of slavery forwards and backwards. And so when he got elected, if you ever saw the movie Lincoln by Daniel Day-Lewis, you saw that level of expertise and commitment to a principle that he was going to navigate and move forward through despite those obstacles. All right. We have a lobbying team. We sit down at the state capitol. I sit in these committee hearings. The number one trait that gets people elected right now is the ability to do the bidding of special interest groups. That is what is valuable. Because I will sit there and I watch these people and I'm like, these are the dumbest people I've ever met. I literally would not hire them to watch my kids. I wouldn't hire them to mow my lawn. They're not great principal leaders. They're not experts. They don't care about constituents. They're literally almost like robots that deliver on an agenda that's often di dictated thousands of miles away and paid for by special campaign contributions. So, for instance, Hugh McKean one time, I was talking to him, um, God rest his soul. He was the top Republican in the House, and we, there was a big debate over a um, comprehensive sex education bill down there. And I just said, Hugh, who do you call when you try to amend this bill? This is a horrible bill. It wasn't even written by the Democrats down there. It was written by Planned Parenthood 
and the ACLU. Why? Why did they write the bill? Because it provides money for them. They make money off of comprehensive sex education. If you have a bunch of teenagers getting knocked up, well, where are they going to go? They can go to Planned Parenthood. Okay, so I, I said to Hugh, who do you call? He goes, I call Planned Parenthood or ACLU. I don't even talk to my Democrat colleagues to amend this bill because they didn't even write it. They don't even know what's in it. They're delivery boys. They're simply there to take a bill written by these special interest groups and get it passed. That is their sole function. We saw this this last year when uh, Planned Parenthood introduced a bill to go after these crisis pregnancy centers. And these were, these were bills that were essentially a special interest bill to target competition for another business. So these crisis pregnancy centers, these pregnancy resource centers, they, they, they encourage women not to abort their children, to adopt, to raise their children, provide services, supplies, resources to them so that they don't do that. Well, Planned Parenthood, with total Democrat control and all of their politicians paid for just introduced a bill that went right after one of their competitors. And when they passed it, Planned Parenthood brought champagne down to the House of Representatives here in Colorado, and they opened champagne that morning and celebrated. Why? Because they passed a good bill to help the people of Colorado? No. For the fact that they had a business win, a special interest win down at the state capitol. So here's what I want to close with. If you're a conservative listening in the state of Colorado, 710K in U.S. is going to be one of the most important resources we have left. We are in the collapse, generally, of the conservative movement from what it once was, which was the ability to lead and govern this state. The state's getting bluer. It's going to get bluer and bluer and bluer because liberals, people that want to kill their children, trans their kids, are going to move from Texas and Florida to Colorado. So it's going to get worse. And if you... Or a conservative thinking, well, you know, I'll put in a few years here or there and I might run for governor and I might win that. I don't think it's going to happen. I think we're in the state of basically being like California or Massachusetts. So those of us that are conservatives left have to move into almost kind of like a guerrilla type of operation. We are going to be not just a small minority, but a, a micro minority as the left continues to grow and dominate in this state. So you need to change your perspective. The idea of rational public thought, of engagement, of the likelihood of Republicans winning the state house or state senate or anything like that is just not going to take place from my perspective for a very long time. So you're going to be in a guerrilla perspective. And we've got to look at ways to drive our message, drive our agenda, change things when we have no power at the state capitol. When we're not going to compete with Planned Parenthood putting in tens of millions of dollars into this state. Now, will it be like this forever? No, it won't. Eventually, the left, they don't replicate. They kill off their offspring. They don't build family structures. They don't transmit values. Now, they they used to be able to do this to conservatives by controlling education. And educational choice has now freed up conservatives to see what's going on and to hopefully move these children out of this indoctrination that comes from the left. But for the next 10, 15, 20, 25 years, it's going to be very difficult in the state. And for those of us that are sticking around because we have family or we love the outdoors or we just like living in Colorado but have to deal with this leftist agenda and this control that's going to take place, buckle up. You need to stay connected. 
This is why 710 KNUS is so important. A lot of these entities, these big entities that are here, are not going to be here anymore. I heard from Donald Trump's campaign that they don't plan to be in Colorado prior to the primary in March. And I would be surprised if he even comes to Colorado at all in his presidential election. The major Republican influences in this nation are not going to be here in Colorado. They're not going to invest in Colorado. They're not going to be present here. So I think we've got to gear up for what's going to be a entirely new attitude, an entirely new way to engage, where we are not just in the minority, but a guerrilla minority that's going to push back and drive this agenda and People like George Brockler, Jimmy Sangenberger, Randy, Matt Dunn, Stefan Tubbs, Deborah Flora. Those are going to be the great leaders that move this forward in the midst of these challenges. So stay connected. 710-KNUS. It's been an honor to be with you today. Jeff Hunt filling in for the great Dr. Matt Dunn. We'll see you next week. God bless you and yeehaw.